Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio Dispatches from the Verge. Today, David Morrison and I uh, sort of look at this idea of uh, monasticism, monasteries, uh, monastic vows, and things of that nature. Uh, Not only historically, um, you know, from the early times of Christianity, but more so uh, how that has evolved here at Desert Rain and uh, a little bit of this idea of new monasticism. But before we get into that, thank you to Diego at Recording Moving Studios. He does all the editing and sound engineering. Thank you to Jacob at Monk Drums. That's what you hear in the background. Uh, if you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, check out theruined.com. You can find prayers, uh, poems uh, by David Morrison, as well as information about the community. Uh, if you like what you hear, please check out drcrpod.com. You can see our other episodes of Dispatches from the Verge, as well as Road to Desert Rain, which we plan to have some more of those coming out over the next couple of months. Um, also, please tell a friend if you enjoy what you're hearing. Uh, social media and word of mouth really helps us out. We appreciate you. And let's get into it. Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio. David Morrison. Hola, sir. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well today, all things considered. I got my, I don't know if we talked about it, but I had a medical thing and I have a little heart monitor on. So that's been a weird couple days. Just my life is rubbing off on you in a bad way. Right, it's pouring out. On <laughs> Go away, run, <laughs> right. get away from here. Well, it's funny too because because where it's at, and I I do this beard thing a lot. Yeah. I'm always worried. I keep worried that I'm pushing the button. Oh yeah, but yeah. But it doesn't matter. Anyways, the button. Yeah. The sure no one wants to hear about that. It's not exciting. <laughs> but what is exciting <laughs> is monasteries. Oh yes, <laughs> people love monasteries. <laughs> Uh, so what we're thinking about discussing today, or not, we're not thinking about it, we're, we're going to do it. Um, so about 20 years ago, David Morrison and the Desert Rain crew, if you will, Founders, yeah. um, took monastic vows, correct? That's Yeah, that's true. Okay. 20 years ago. That's and like Sergeant Peppers. <laughs> he taught the band to play 20 years ago. And... We want to. We we just want to explore. We're going to explore that idea of monasteries in general, monastic vows, um, and then you know, sort of weave it back to the specifics um, here at Desert Rain and and what that's meant to the community, what that's meant to you um, on a personal level and a spiritual level, and um, so yeah. So I I don't know. Maybe maybe the the place to start is just sort of this general idea of. What is a monastic vow? What does that mean historically? What have people sort of what have um, how has it been used? Um, and then kind of how it was adapted here at Desert Rain. And we'll just go from there. Yeah, I, I mean there there are people that have suggested that even in the New Testament scriptures, you know that that there was a monastic life. Uh, you know, in, in play, right? It started, but but you know, that's kind of a weak argument. Uh, so their their argument is like the disciples were part of a not so much the disciples. Like if you read some of the uh, Paul's letters, he'll mention certain groups of women, certain groups of of people that were devoted to fasting and prayer. And, okay, uh, you know that kind of a life. You do see it in in the. Uh, um, in in the uh, prophetess Anna in in the New Testament in the Gospels, she never left the temple, but served with fasting and prayer. Okay, uh, was always there. Simeon, so that seems like a, a monastic esque life. John the Baptist seems to be a part, seemed to have been a part of uh, a desert community called the the Essenes. Okay, uh, who are kind of apocalyptic radicals. Out in the desert. I think we call them doomsday cults now. <laughs> or uh, Heaven's Gate cult. <laughs> if, yeah, if they don't kill themselves or or uh, get the FBI to burn them down or uh, hurt children, 
then they get called monastic. <laughs> if they don't pass those, then they're a cult. They're a know? cult, yeah. So, yeah. So, but really, I mean, historically, most people, and by most people I mean Wikipedia, uh, would probably uh, point to Paul of Thebes or Anthony of Egypt, Anthony the Great. Of the desert. Uh, yeah, in mm. the uh, uh, middle of the third century. That would be the like 260s, 250s. Uh, so, so you kind of have to look at what happened uh so so in the you know in the third century Christianity became was becoming more and more popular in the Roman Empire in the you know city of Rome and Constantinople it was actually uh, being embraced right yeah I mean was, embraced in the sense of like the nation it was recovering from yeah a a statewide persecution but nevertheless was growing in popularity and then Constantine lifted that mm you know, the, the ban on Christianity and then uh, made it the actual official state religion right. of the yeah. empire. So that was problematic for a lot of people. And so a lot of people would say, wow, Christ is famous. We've made him famous. You know, evangelicals will actually say that. Let's make Jesus famous. <laughs> they, uh, they, that's, they're very serious about this. And so that crowd, the majority crowd would say, yeah, this is a great thing. Uh, maybe even the emperor is, is a, is a baptized Christian, uh, you know, which there's speculation on that. And so all of a sudden properties and money and wealth and influence began to flood into this ragtag group of underground dwellers. They quite literally, they were underground, uh, dweller dwelling people, you know, uh, to it becoming Christianity becoming, a pathway to citizenship in the Roman Empire and oh, therefore really? a pathway to uh, uh, prosperity and success. Mm -hmm. So it became overwhelmingly popular. Right. And then, you know, and then the, the legend is, the tradition is that Constantine put the, what's called the Chiro or Cairo symbol. It's that P with the X that you see. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the symbol of Christ, the cross, uh, putting it on the shields. Of How is that? How is that, I mean, not to get off, but how is that translated to Christ? It's the Greek letters. Oh, yeah. okay. And so, yeah, and, you know, the, the legend is that he, you know, Constantine before a battle saw that sign <laughs> in the sky, in the sky and it said, under this <laughs> sign, you will conquer. And so, so the tradition is, is that Christianity, the cross became a symbol of power and military mm -hmm. victory, nationalism. Uh, prosperity. I don't know if, the, uh, I don't know if I, uh, the connection here is coming through or not. Well, if so anyone's listened to our podcast, <laughs> they already know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and so there were groups of people that were disturbed by this and wanted to, quote unquote, seek the, the original or truer meaning of what the cross is. Mm. And so they separated themselves from civilization, from uh, Christendom, uh, and and went out into the desert. So as as sort of a counterpoint that I would be interested in um in so maybe not maybe not so much in modern not so much in our context right like christianity is is extremely popular in the sense that everyone knows about it here in yeah. in the context of 2022 in the United States so on and so forth but in in the 3rd uh, century spreading this idea of Christ far and wide if if on a certain level I, I could argue you could see an argument where that's a good thing absolutely yeah so how how do you see something like that so how do you walk that tightrope where it's it's not about nationalism and yeah. uh, oh, what's the abundance, uh, right. prosperity, um, but you are able to to spread this story of of Christ, right? Um, and maybe it's a mute point because of the day and age we live in. Right. But I, I don't. Do you see being able to accomplish one without connecting it to the other two? I, yeah, I'm not an anti. Uh 
Constantine. I don't think that was the worst thing that ever. If you talk to to hardcore Protestants, they do. Think it's the worst thing? One of the worst things that happened to Christianity, yeah, it became perverted, became Romanized, Mm -hmm. uh, and that... You know, and that justifies the entire Protestant Reformation. Oh, you know, I see. That whole thing. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I, I just, you know, it is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think, let me go back. Let me, let me use an example in uh, uh, the book of Acts. I think this is the pattern that plays out probably in human, every human culture probably. Okay. So you have the successful church in uh, Jerusalem that grows in the book of Acts after the day of Pentecost and, mm-hmm. and they uh, tell you all the numbers, you know, 5,000 were added that day, right, yeah. uh, which is, you know, those are exaggerated numbers. Um, and, and so you had this Jerusalem church and the argument became is that this is only for Jews. Mm-hmm. The promise of Pentecost, the promise of what Christ did uh, is for the, the house of, of Abraham only. Okay. It's not for the outside, the Goyim, the, the yeah. Gentiles. The, the gringos, uh, it's only for us. So then uh, the disciples began to, some of them, Philip, for example, goes uh, off and, and they begin to go to Antioch, which was the Gentiles you can get, right? Uh, okay. You know, even on the map, it looks uh, uncircumcised. I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and the spirit falls there and so it becomes a controversy, you know, uh, mm. Because uh, how could the Holy Spirit fall on the, uh, you know, the outsiders? The outsiders and, yeah. and so, so then this church in Antioch begins to, then they're kind of the outcasts. They're the, uh, you know, the, the unclean, mm-hmm. uh, they'll the eat, uncouth. They, they'll eat whatever. They'll eat whatever. <laughs> yeah. They, you know, and that kind of thing. And so I think we've always had that tension okay. of, of, and I'm not making any comparison to Judaism and Christianity. Yeah, this is simply one is the established and the other is the the outpost. Yeah. And so fast forward to medieval Christianity, I think it's always been the cathedral and the monastery. Okay. Uh so the cathedral is is the civic place. It's the it's where all the money goes. Sort of it's, the country club version. Yeah. Okay. And, and yet it is d- democratic. Everyone in the city went there, mm-hmm. right? But then there are those that wanted to seek deeper into it, and they went to an outpost, and it becomes a, you know, a monastic community. Yeah. Okay. And, so, and that's what happened to, to Anthony of Egypt. So he was, the the story goes that he was in his twenties in Egypt, mm-hmm. and he, uh, his parents had had died when he in, in his twenties, and he had a younger sister, and they were they were landowners, they were fairly wealthy, so all of that went to him. He was at mass. And heard the gospel reading, sell your possessions, give them to the poor. And it struck him deeply. Mm. And so he literally did that. Had his sister cared for for the rest of her life. And he goes off to a nearby wilderness area. Uh, But then very quickly, a community of desert dwellers, cave dwellers, Mm. develops around him. And what do you do all day sitting in a cave? You know, uh, well, he, he went, he dealt with his dark side. So the legend and paintings of him have the devil tempting him and all these you know crazy things. I think it's best read through a Jungian uh, lens. In other right. words, a, a deep psych, a deep psychology, depth psychology kind of. Well, and even even today, there's um, studies that have been done of long term exposure in dark. Yeah, and it, there's a psychedelic of effect that happens yeah and you deal with the like what you're talking about the things in the uh subconscious yeah because he's spending years alone you know and and so yeah so they so you have to occupy the mind and or you know or it's just going to dissolve into chaos and so he he prays the entire psalms the book of psalms uh all day would would he have had access to an actual book or would he have had to memorize them uh yeah he probably had a uh okay a book of some sort yeah. uh, I would guess but yeah eventually they memorized them and yeah. some and so so that's what developed so that becomes the foundation for, for uh, Saint Benedict who would kind of uh, 
streamlined that, the prayer life of a monk. A monk uh, stands for uh, monos, comes out of the word monos. In other words, from Psalm 27, the one thing I will seek. Um, God will be the one thing. And so that's kind of the foundation of, of monasticism. And so, so, and you said this, this um, Alexander of the Desert, Alexander the Great, this occurred in the third century. Right. Fourth, third century. Yeah. yeah. So what was sort of the outgrowth? I don't know, 500, a thousand years. You know what I mean? What was sort of the next iteration of yeah. monastery type living? Well, I'm glossing over, you know, obviously. Of course, of but, course. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the Roman Empire collapses in the West, the, the city of Rome in Italy collapses. And so all of the, the governmental infrastructure is gone at that point. So this monastic structure is all that was left, really. Interesting. And so it becomes the dominant. Even within the church or specifically within yeah, the church? Yeah. Okay. So it becomes the dominant structure of what faith looks like. Okay. This, this monastic order of, of living, of expressing Christ in your life th through that kind of way. So, and then, so that kind of, so around exactly around that time, Christianity begins to take root in Ireland, mm. which had no connect, very little connection with the Roman Empire and the governmental structures. So it's completely transformed. And that's the Christianity that they adopt from Patrick and onward is a monastic form. Because um, Ireland was kind of an outpost of its own. Of the Roman yeah, Empire. It was, it was part of it. Insignificant right. place. <laughs> no, it wasn't even a part of the Roman. Uh, Britain oh, okay. was. Okay. England, right across the channel there. But Ireland, so they didn't even bother to take that boat right across uh, the channel. Yeah, there's stories that Julius Caesar showed up, apparently in his Gallic Wars, uh, his, his memoirs. They showed up and they saw these naked, crazy people <laughs> on the battlefield and they were like, yeah, this isn't worth it. <laughs> Connor, Connor McGregor's fifteenth great grandfather yeah. <laughs> was was running around with no yeah. clothes on. So they were like, "Yeah, there's nothing here. It's really pretty, but nothing's here." And so we're going we're going back to yeah <laughs> across the way. And so yeah, so this this idea of I'm going to intentionally give my life to these vows, which which are the traditional ones, were chastity which I think is more connected to, I'm not going to uh, bring children into this world. Okay. Uh, uh, poverty. And back then that was their only, really their only means. There wasn't, yeah. there wasn't birth control like we know today. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and poverty, which, you know, that's different, different monastic houses have taken that to different levels. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, obedience. And so I'm going to obey. Uh, and that, that takes on different things too. So mm -hmm. it can be abusive as well. I'm going to obedience to, uh, you know, my uh, supervisor, mm -hmm. absolute obedience without questioning that kind of thing. And so, so that's why it's, it's controversial now is because people think it's antiquated and irrelevant, culturally irrelevant. Well, and it, it was, it's interesting too, because I, I think we've shared on the podcast that, I hung out with some Franciscans when I was in Philadelphia. Okay. And obviously they're three knots. Right, yeah. On, stand for the three things you just Yeah, those are the classic monastic vows. You just covered. But the other thing I was going to I was going to touch on was this idea of obedience. I can remember and I know we've talked about this, but I was uh I was in the navy, right? And so you go through boot camp where they're like just do what you're told, right? Like there's no thinking. They yeah. they basically say don't think, just do what you're told. I mean, it's not exactly that, but effectively it's that. And then when you, because there's so few people relatively on the submarine, it's like, you always got to be aware of what's going on and you need to be able to like, kind of what you're talking about, push back. You know, if, if uh, like an officer is telling you something that's like really wrong or, I mean, dumb is a wrong word, but it could be, right? It could yeah. be. You, you have to push back because there's there's a lot of fail-safes on a submarine, but there's only so many. And the, the consequences, right, like something goes wrong on a boat that's yeah. on the surface, you can you have a little bit more time to 
to save the ship, so to speak. Whereas a submarine, there's very little room for error. Yeah. And so it, it was it was a struggle for a lot of guys. And I think I I would include myself on that of that idea of like, well, you just got to do what you're told. Because that's easy. That's a really easy life to live. Yeah, yeah. But then it's like, no, you also got to have this, like what you're talking about, like be able to push back to avoid um, – what was the word? Yeah, being abuse. abused. Yeah, yeah, yeah being abuse, victimized. Abuse. Yeah, and so I, I could see that Which, going one yeah. both ways, right? I mean, it, it's well documented in exactly in different, um, not monasteries, but uh, different orders. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, that's I don't I don't even know where I was going with that, but um, so so you were laying out sort of this this base the basic idea of the of taking these vows yeah so in the late 90s through i just felt very intrigued by this and mm -hmm. very i feel like to use classical language i felt called to it mm -hmm. um and so uh you know i had a series of supernatural visions if you will dreams mm -hmm. and drawings towards that kind of thing and took it very seriously you know more seriously then than now, of course, but, uh, and said, I want to organize my life this way. Mm. I want to live a monastic life. doesn't mean I'm going to be good at it. Uh, you know, it's kind of like when, uh, students, you know, would find out I was also a pastor in a church and they would say, how can you be a Christian pastor? And you talk the way that you do <laughs> and you, and you, and the jokes that you tell and you the cuss, way that mister. you are. Yeah. And your profanity and all that. <laughs> And my response would be, well, I didn't say I was good at it, uh, good at being a Christian, you know. So, yeah. So we are in a predict predicament of uh, real monks would look at us and say, we suck. We're not real monks. And then, uh, well, it's, it's like we had a visitor. Yeah. I was going to, yeah, use that. Use <laughs> yeah, that, a recent that. visitor <laughs> said, you're pretty, uh, you're pretty worldly for a monk, eh? He said uh, in his Canadian accent. And uh and yeah, and it's the classic story for us here. We're too, we're too holy for the, the uh, uh, secular people. The worldlies. The worldlies. We're too holy for the worldlies, and we're too worldly for the holies. And so it's just the way, it, you know. I've come to accept that, and uh, and you know, it's my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And and so I, I guess going back to this. Um, To the the late '90s, where you you started feeling called to um, a monastic type calling, yeah. a monastic type life. What organize my life that way? Yeah, yeah, and I and I just because I know you so well, you're not one to just sort of jump into something. You no. usually usually read up on stuff, watch stuff, read. Uh, I already said that. Um, you you do your research, so to speak. Yeah, I'm a calculating hombre, or in other words, I'm a coward. <laughs> <laughs> or or a nerd. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's but, true. <laughs> but so what were the things you started when, when you started feeling this this sort of yeah. this push from the the divine? What what were some of the things you read or the people you started looking into? What what caught your attention specifically around yeah, a yeah, monastic I, lifestyle? I remember it. It was um First, it was it was we talked about fasting. Mm -hmm. It was at the end of one of those fasts, and I was struggling quite a bit. I may have said this story. It's a pretty, you know, I don't, it's, I don't hide it. Uh, uh, but I was really struggling, thinking that the 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 devotion of fasting was what was uh, somehow gaining me favor, spiritual favor and power, and just knowing that that's not true. But secretly believing that is true, <laughs> right. and not wanting to believe that, but knowing that it's tr so, I was just really struggling with this issue. And near the end of the fast on Holy Week, I had a sense I was at work collecting exams. I think it was the end of a nine-week period, and uh, and I had this sense of that I should go to the the grotto that I used to take care of. Have I told this story? Before? Yeah, but but I think it, it it's it good. It's good okay. for this. Yeah, yeah. Tell it again. <laughs> I've said it before, but it bears repeating. Uh, and I don't know if you've told it in this amount of detail. So, so I had the sense, yeah, that that uh, I needed to go, quote unquote, meet God there. So it's a garden grotto area that I would take care of. I, I hadn't been there in at that point. Uh, 
you know, since I was a teenager, you know, and I was in my thirties at this point. So and what was the name of the church? Not even a teenager, probably 12. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I was probably not even there at Holy Trinity yeah. in Northeast El Paso. And, you know, I didn't even know if it was open. I was living on the far East side, but it was very real. And I jumped in my car right after school and. You left the students there. Yeah. <laughs> to, to take care of themselves. Yes, just like the, the disciples did. When they <laughs> left their workers behind. The left their boat, dad in the, in the left boat. Left their like, dad in the boat with right, no dad. oar and no sail. <laughs> what a bunch of jerks. Anyways. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, as soon as school is over and, uh, uh, yeah, I sped down the, the loop, <laughs> loop 375, into, you know, and the, the church is right on the end of that loop okay. area from... From the seven nine nine three six to the two four, Damn. yeah, and, northeast uh, represent. <laughs> <laughs> even even the, my friend Gil, who does a lumen, yeah, 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 right. He'll write every time he writes. He says, "Hey, it's Gil from the northeast. <laughs> Greetings from the northeast. <laughs> Only northeast people do this." And so anyway, um, so I yeah, so I so it's outside. It's an outside area. I sat down on a stone bench. There were two women. Uh, sitting on a nearby bench, having a conversation, eating their lunch or whatever they're doing. And I'm just sitting there. And uh, the next thing I know, it was a very realistic vision. Uh, you know, the person wasn't physically there, uh, but it was as if, mm -hmm. you know, there are visions and there's visions. You know, right. sometimes you have dreams that are dreams, but then you have these lucid dreams that are just, you, you could have swore you were there and it yeah. was real. So the, that's the kind of imagining and keep in mind, I was like on the 38th day of a fast or whatever, with the exception of Sundays. But uh, I was very stressed uh, sitting on this bench. And this, it was a, it was a monk. He had the tonsure, the, the haircut, the, you know, the classic. Where the top uh, is bald, right? Yeah. Yeah. Off-white uh, robe, though. Not a, not a brown one with the hood and the whole thing. Uh, he was not a KKK guy. I was guy. about to say, wait, what? <laughs> Time out. No, they like their, Interesting. They like their uh, robes extra white. Right, yeah. <laughs> this and was they off don't, white. It was like wool colored. You don't get to see their face. They have a... And uh, literally sat down next to me and he said, son, the key to fasting is to not be aware that you're fasting anymore. The key to prayer is to not realize that you're praying anymore but you become prayer and you become worship and you become all fire. And that was the end of the vision there. And I was just blown away. And, uh, and so then at the same time I was studying a little while later, probably later that summer, uh, it was a Thomas Merton book on the sayings of the desert. The sayings? The sayings? Sayings, yeah, of the desert. I think it's called uh, Wisdom of the Desert is the name okay. of the book. And there was a very similar saying by Anthony of Egypt in that, you know, and, and so I threw the book across the room. Right. Like, no way! Like Neo <laughs> in the Matrix. Uh, the other book that really... Now, now just, just to sort of tap into that a little bit. So that book, had you read it before or was this no, your first time first reading time, through it? Yeah. And it was after, it wasn't like you were reading it, had the vision and continued reading it. It was... Re reading you picked up after having this yeah a couple months later okay. yeah so i'm starting to pursue this stuff probably before that i had found a book i don't even know where i found it uh but it was called thoughts and solitude by thomas merton okay and it was his introduction to the desert spirituality and i i was so blown away by the introduction of that book i i, I did throw it across the room yeah i couldn't believe someone could say those words and write that what, so what I was just blown away. What was it? What was it about? Like, what was he talking about that was so profound to you at that it, moment? The book itself is just a journal where he got permission. Again, the vow of obedience. Uh -huh. He was in a very strict order in uh, Kentucky. What, what was it called? Uh, Gethsemane. Okay. Uh, Cistercian order. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's a very austere and. But he, so he got permission to spend extra time alone in solitude. Uh, it got to the point where they did recognize that gift in him, his okay. community, and they set him up with a tiny cabin with no electricity off a ways from the, the main community housing into a little cabin in the woods. They also did that for uh, Ted Kaczynski. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if you've ever heard of it. <laughs> I'm just joking. Sorry, folks. So... <clears throat> 
And so, yeah, so this book is his journal of that time period where he got to spin. And what was the time period? Was it years? Uh, no, I think it was, it might've been a year. Yeah. Oh. Maybe a couple of months. Okay. But yeah, so he talks about the desert being uh, valuable to God's precisely because it's valueless mm. to civilization. And we actually just talked about that in our, in our desert episode yeah. last month. Exactly. Yeah. So that had a profound influence on me. Uh, and then again, a series of dreams and other kinds of things happening in prayer. Uh, and so it was, do you remember any of the dreams specifically? Yeah, there was one that was very, very strange, but very real again. Um, I mean, I hadn't thought about this in years. Um, I was at like a, at a banqueting table and all the church people that I knew were there at this long table and they had, uh, you know how when they uh, in fancy banquets they have the uh, the napkin folded up in a certain way. Well, they were actually scrolls. These napkins. Oh wow! Look like scrolls, and everybody would set the scrolls up a certain way uh, on the table, and they would say at the at the count of three the scrolls will bow to us, and they wouldn't do it, and they tried it three times, and the scrolls wouldn't do it. And then a voice said, the only uh, direction that these scrolls will bow is to Anthony. And, and I thought it meant Anthony, New Mexico. <laughs> Am I supposed to plant a church in, in Anthony, Anthony, New, New Mexico? Mexico? Or Anthony, Texas. <laughs> or, uh, or on the border of both. Yeah. It's a two-state Right, right there on the, on the line. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't really understand that. And now looking at it's the way of Anthony. It's that monastic way of... Uh, of simplicity, uh, you know, of, of uh, emptying out of yourself, of humility, uh, that kind of thing. So yeah. rather than the arrogant Christianity that you see today in America. In your, in your face. In your face, nationalistic, militaristic, uh, uh, you know. Prosperity. Prosperity driven, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, the things we were talking about earlier. Um. Okay, so so you're you know you late nineties you're having these visions you're reading yeah. you know you're getting intrigued by these books by Merton. Um, so I don't I'm not quite a, because I don't know the timing exactly. Did you was Desert Rain like you guys built the chapel and sort of planted out here and then took the vows or did you no. take the vows not even and then having start? A place. Yeah. Okay. So maybe you could tell that, yeah, sort of that so story we, a little bit. So the church began to, so I met with, I remember a meeting with our leaders and telling them, look, I don't know how, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I am convinced that I'm supposed to structure my life in a monastic kind of way. I'm going to be living a monastic life of some sort in the, in the future. Uh, and I don't know what that means for our church here. And and so we, yeah, so in those early episodes of the podcast, I think we talked about that transition. So there was... We, yeah, we, we went through, because you guys sort of had the the year-long or maybe it was two-year-long meetings with the church. Yeah. And then it sort of transitioned. You started looking for places to, yeah. to do Desert Rain and it ended up here. So at this point, yeah, we're just a handful of people at this point from the hundreds that were going to the church. We're just down to just like maybe 10 at the most. And we're meeting on Saturday nights at uh, what was called Chaparral Vineyard, which is now Blended Nation. And they didn't have a building yet either. It was just in a trailer. Interesting. There. And so. At the same piece of property they're at now or a different one? Uh, I, I think just right next door. Okay. I think it was in that general area. Yeah. No, it wasn't the exact same place, but within walking distance, you know, mm -hmm. just this, this utility trailer. Interesting. You know, that we, so we met on Saturday nights and uh, kind of lost my train of thought. That, uh, oh, yeah, so yeah. We're so about... it was there in that context that we, uh, the founders, uh, where we began to discern. So we didn't have a property yet. Right. We didn't really know exactly what we were going to do, but they felt called or they were just, uh, or it could have been they were just trying to uh, uh, humor me. I don't know. Uh, 
that says a lot about their hearts, if that's true, right? That they well, would yeah, humor me that way. I was gonna say I, <laughs> I, you know, know most of them pretty well. I think they were probably called. I think so. Yeah, as as I, much I as you bad. were called too. Yeah, yeah, and Marsha, and so so we made a critical decision on accident <laughs> at that time, which was to not take that we would take vows, monastic vows, but they would not be we would not take the same vows and they would not be conforming. So okay. we, we took some serious time, several months of discerning what vows you'll take. And then when that time came, it was, it was, yeah, it was 20 years ago on Ash Wednesday at uh vineyard. So 2000, 2002 Ash Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. In the building where Chaparral vineyard, which is now blended nation, uh, Ernie, Ernie and, and Linda Nettia, uh, pastoring Jacob's, parents right and who's the pastor now since ernie passed his son his oldest son uh chris chris okay chris yeah and so uh yeah we took uh customized monastic vows uh i took five myself and and, the, and this is the structure you know it was a proclamation to a community saying this is this is the lifestyle i intend to follow mm -hmm. and structure my life around that uh failing at it of course are, uh, are you willing to talk about those five things or yeah, is, it, yeah. is it like fight club no i did it five because that was a uh, the number of grace the five wounds of christ i was very symbolic back then so in other words this isn't by my power or my discipline right. or my willpower kind of thing but yeah. it's by god's grace in my life and i'm responding to it it's actually your powerlessness yes to the world that you're it seems like you're responding to exactly yeah. so that's why I, broken into five but one was devotion which kind of covers prayer a life of of prayer uh the spiritual disciplines you know meditation study uh those kind of fasting uh that kind of stuff uh the second one was service mm. uh, uh the third was obedience uh, to the holy spirit obedience to to life itself obedience to the community uh as we discern whatever we need to do right um um, losing my train of thought again. Uh, the five, your five. Yeah. So the yeah, and the fourth. Uh, what would be the fourth? And serve. Oh, simplicity. So mm -hmm. instead of poverty, I felt called to a, a simpler life. Right. Not this consumer age that we lived in. Uh, and again, we were living in a in a neighborhood where I think I mentioned you could have anything you wanted within five minutes. Yeah, we did uh, talk about that. Yeah. I think the desert episode, actually. This is the convenience of, of modern suburbia. Yeah. We were right in the heart of that. Right. So the response to that was, a, yeah, live a life of simplicity. Uh, and, of course, that's always evolving and mm. moving forward. Um, and then, and then uh, celebration, mm. which, which that would be, you know, I kind of think of the old man on the commercial says, do we need a sign that tells you to live, laugh, and love? <laughs> well, I do. <laughs> I actually do. I need to uh, celebration and joy are a discipline for me. Mm. Have to be a discipline for me. Whereas uh, gravitating towards loss and grieving is more natural for me. Well, and I think even we've talked about this. I think off mic, um, but even this idea of like being a hermit. I think that way of life would be easier for you. Yeah. Than being. A, in a group of people, a you know, large group of people yeah. constantly, right? And so to to discipline yourself to engage in that, yeah, whatever that celebration is for that season. Yeah, I'm definitely I'm not a total introvert, and right. I'm not, but I'm definitely not an extrovert. So I'm I'm what I what they'd call a metrovert, I guess. So so when I'm with a group of people, I'm spending myself. Yeah. But I don't feel energized by that. Yeah. I feel emptied. So then I need to go into solitude and I get my batteries charged and get filled out of that. And then so the two play off each other very well. Well, and even for me. Yeah. And even things I've witnessed about you, like long, like if I, I can get on a conversation, like a phone call and talk to someone for an hour, an hour and a half. And at the end, be energized by that. Yeah, no. Whereas you are like spent. You're yeah, like, I'm done. You're like, leave me alone. Don't yeah. talk to me. I, like, I got to right. watch. Some, <laughs> I got to watch some sports or something. <laughs> yeah. And that simplicity, we didn't even have a TV for almost 10 years. When you moved out here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I knew that. 
we had internet. Yeah. But not, you know, we're not savages. <laughs> we're not that simple. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so we personally didn't have a TV. Our poor daughter, but she had she had a TV mm. with with those video cassette tapes right. yeah. <laughs> that she could put in little Bill, uh, which is I guess he's been canceled. But I don't I don't I even know what that is. It was a Bill Cosby <laughs> cartoon for little kids. She loved her. He's, he hasn't been canceled. He's just been incarcerated. <laughs> okay, that's right. Yeah, he's more than canceled. But then he was freed, right, or something like. Anyway, I don't. Oh, I don't yeah, I don't. Yeah, he might have been. I don't know. So yeah, and so it wasn't until 2011 when I went uh, septic and went through all of that near death experience. We mm. we just felt like yeah, we should we should uh, treat yourself, treat ourselves, <laughs> watch some, get a satellite yeah. dish and and watch sports again. We had yeah. we hadn't watched sports and and it's something my wife Marsh and I love to do. Well, and I think that speaks too about. Um, that ever evolving idea of around, around, you know, what is obedience? What is simplicity? Sort of, you know, you have these uh, guiding principles, if you will. Yeah. And sort of it, at different seasons, yeah. it points in different directions. Yeah. It kind of does itself, you know, it's, that's what I, mean, I feel, yeah. I feel like it's spirit driven, you know? And so, yeah. Yeah. Cause it's not like you, you, you're like, oh, I'm going to wake up today and go septic. And so I can buy a TV yeah, yeah. a month from now. It's like, wow, you know, it played uh, yeah. out the way it played out. And the vows aren't like, like Benjamin Franklin in his autobiography, he has a checklist of becoming uh, the, the person he wants to become, mm. you know, have I any checklist every night. That's not what the vows are for me. Uh, they're, they're already in, they're forces, if you will, energies, if you will. Uh, that were graced and gifted, and I was just simply recognizing them. And they take their own life and express themselves. And so rather than me saying, well, have I, have I accomplished service today? Check. You know, it's, right. not, it's not that kind of yeah. life. Well, excuse me. Um, and and this, this, kind of, <laughs> this kind of goes in, in the line of <laughs> that Ben Franklin checklist, but – after that moment that everyone in the community or everyone that was involved with the community at the time took those vows, yeah. each one having their own vows that they wrote right. or decided to go with, what, what did you notice was different after that? Even if it, if it was small, slight things, yeah. you know, but, but what, you know, was there a, a different seriousness about it? Was there a different, um, I don't want to say dedication, but just just anything you might have yeah. noticed, or, or maybe it's it's retrospectively. Maybe you didn't notice it at the time, but now being twenty years removed, it's it's. No, of, it, at the time for me, it felt like one. Of, it felt like one of the most important nights of my life. Mm. It was. You know, there's, you know, religiously speaking, I guess, people's first communion, mm. confirmation. Uh, I, I had received, I had been ordained by the local church. Right. And that didn't really mean much to me. It meant, you know, something. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Functionally, uh, you know. Yeah. We say, yes, you can go plant this church and share our name. Yeah. Uh, but it was more of a functional thing. It was, but this felt like this. This was an extremely important night. I feel like the community of Desert Rain was born that night. Mm. Uh, was birthed. It came forward that night, uh, out of nothing really. Yeah. Because uh, we didn't have a place. We didn't have a, a clue what we, what we're really going to do. What the lifestyle would would uh, turn out to be. You know. Right. Uh, so it was all a faith journey. Really was, um, and so. Yeah, so it was very significant for me. Did you notice any differences within the community at large? No, because we were just like 10 of us left. <laughs> so we right. were just beat up uh, relationally from losing our, our church, yeah. losing those friendships and relationships and uh, – and then, and also just being, you know, felt attacked by my colleagues and, mm. uh, you know, and that kind of thing. So, yeah. So it was, we were just trying to survive and we're raising our kids. Right, right, right. So we're trying to do that too. And 
just trying to make it through through the day. Yeah, and, like anybody else. Yeah, no, you know, and I was teaching full time as well. Oh, that's at right. The time, so yeah, yeah. So you know, I was were very you, tired. And you were so you were still living in El Paso. You still had your house in El Paso. Yeah. So why would you Dude. meet in Chaparral? Had you guys decided that this was where you were going to move? No, I remember it was, uh, we had been looking on the east side of El Paso right. and we couldn't find a property to legally have multiple families on. And so uh, Doniana County seemed to have. The wild, wild west, yeah, baby. Yeah, more of the wild, wild west. <laughs> and, and we had a connection with Ernie and Linda Nettie as well. Right. And so it just felt, yeah, so this property, it was a property across the street in those hills, the hill right, that, we, yep. that we die on. Uh, uh, but it, it got locked up in, it was locked up in probate court and we couldn't do that. Well, I think there's some podcasts that explain all that. Yeah. And we, well, and I think if I remember correctly, I believe Deanna's road to desert range, she, yeah, she laid it out very well. Cause there was like 12 owners, yeah, some wanted to sell, some were dead. Anyways, it's funny the, that hill, you, you know, you Joe, I think you've, you might have already said on the podcast. Anyways, the more I walk up that hill, the more I, I feel, uh, what would it be, connected to your dying on that hill. <laughs> There's yeah. something magical about that stupid hill. Pl- well, I would go out there before we had this property. Okay. Oh, I would you go did, out there. You yeah. told me that. Yeah, I had yeah, a yeah. blanket that I carried. <laughs> yeah, that's in uh, the chapel. Yeah, yeah. And I would uh, I would lie down on that blanket for hours. Interesting. And, and walk around those hills yeah. just praying and uh, – yeah. And so my ghost will hang out there because <laughs> they ain't letting me in heaven. I'm a fake monk. <laughs> I saw a good, a good cartoon. They're like, uh, you know, it's this guy in a business suit. And the St. Peter's like, oh, you're going to hell. But unfortunately, right now, uh, human hell is full. So you got to go to dog hell. <laughs> oh my God. And so the next, the last frame is him sitting all alone. Because all dogs go to heaven. Because oh, <laughs> so, the guy's like, I love dogs. I can't wait. And then he's all by himself. Anyways, oh. I digress. Um, so we're, we got the last like 15, 10, 15 minutes here. Um, so I guess the question that kind of comes to mind after the conversation so far is so like now in 2022 – this monastic, you know, you've, you've lived this monastic lifestyle for 20 years. Yeah. Um, you've continued, you know, you've continued your study, if you will, around desert theology, around yeah. other, um, famous is the wrong word, but, you know, St. Francis is famous. Um, other monks, other yeah. uh, influencers in the monastic <laughs> world, if you will. <laughs> Uh, and, and just so I, I guess just kind of where where has that landed for you today, whether it's um, understanding past monastics, right, going back to to biblical times, you know what I mean? Um, new insights or new things that it's meaningful to you. Um, yeah. Just sort of, you know, where where, uh, where has that in March of 2022 and knowing it's going to change and evolve still but yeah. kind of where where does all that the monastic lifestyle land for you today and and your your spiritual walk if you will yeah i well there's there's another book that came out around that time uh maybe written in the nineties it's it's a uh, i think i think his name was morris something morris i don't remember uh but it's called the twilight of american culture mm. and it's not a a spiritual book it's not a it's a cultural book. It's okay. a, it's a, he's writing from a secular, if you will, yeah. standpoint. And, and, and he's, yeah. So he's saying, uh, you know, basically American culture, all that was good about it is dead. We're in the twilight <laughs> of it. It's very alarmist in that sense. But if you watch reality television, I think you'll see that it's true or, uh, you know, yeah. Look at Instagram, uh, influencers and that whole <laughs> culture. You'll like, yeah, it's dead. Or who we've elected in you know in yeah, years. So for sure. Um and so um but he he's he was calling for in the same way, so 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 the Roman Empire and its culture collapses, at least in, in the on the western side, uh 
the Byzantine did not. So you got to understand there were two capitals for a while, and then it and then Constantine left Rome and went to what's now or was called uh, Constantinople. Now it's Istanbul. Right. And, uh, uh, so that whole way of life collapsed completely, and then you have a monastic Christianity flowering in Ireland, Wales, and Scotland, and the Isle of Man, and parts of England. And so this new flowering, and so that's what they mean by how the Irish saved civilization. These Irish monks copied the texts of antiquity that would have been lost. That's the theory anyway. Right, of course. Uh, it's it's usually exaggerated, you know. Well, yeah, but, but that's, his, that's how history yeah. gets retold. So that's, so that's how like the Greek philosophers and, uh, and, and mythologies and all those kinds of writings from the, from the Greek uh, world and the Roman world were uh, preserved. And so, so that's what this book was calling for. I think his name was Morris Williams, but I could be wrong on that. I'll, I'll look it yeah. up and put it in the intro for uh, sure. But he's it, saying that what we was needed, the name of the book? Uh, the the uh, Twilight of the American Culture. Okay. And so he was calling for a secular monasticism mm. to reflower the the, the the good things about American culture. Right. And uh, and so I feel the same way. Uh, I think we're in the same boat now. Interesting. I think we have a, a rising uh, population that is not connected to the gospel at all. Uh, you know, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but it's, the, right. the pagans, if you will, like the pagan Irish were. Uh, and that's not negative. Uh, that's just what they were called at yeah, the time. Yeah. Uh, and, and then a, a dying church, an irrelevant church, a church that has, because of its success, has become irrelevant. Uh, and, and I think that's what we're... But uh, still trying to hold on to that success. Yeah, and they will. Yeah. Uh, you know, they don't go away. And so... Um, like I feel like in my lifetime alone, fifty something years, I've I've lived to see the the big institutions of my world fail completely. Mm. I think I think it's fair to say that higher education has failed what it's supposed to do. Uh, the and and the church has failed, and both of my churches um, of origin, the Catholic Church, uh, in my opinion, as much as I respect. Uh, respect uh, a large part of it, uh, but they failed their people yeah. with with the priest scandals and uh, and the cover up of the priest and the cover scandals. up of yeah. it. Yeah, they have completely lost moral authority. And then on and then my other one, the charismatic evangelical, has devolved, dissolved into total idolatry, nationalism, uh, foolish prosperity. They've become absolute fools. Uh, as much as I respect a lot of aspects of it. Uh, I and can't, you, and, I can't identify with it anymore. And there, it's funny because you are very critical of it. Um, and I don't know if it comes across in the podcast or not, but you still feel there's a certain level that you feel connected to it. Still. Yeah. I can't disengage from right. those. Yeah. I've tried to, I've tried, I've actually tried to amputate myself, so to speak. Interesting. From those two. And it just, uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. So do you, and, and I think I know the answer, but I, I I'm interested to hear, your perspective of stepping into that monastic lifestyle. Yeah. So, so I think that's a viable, relevant expression uh, that's between those, those, you know, the institutional failures. I think it's a viable option, so to speak. And so what I've been doing. Yeah. And do you think that, so seeing the failure of the Catholic church and the charismatic, um, shifting to idolatry. Do you think that's what pushed you towards a mon, uh, monastic lifestyle? Or do you think you felt called and you yeah. just happened to witness these other things happen during this, your monastic yeah. season, so to speak? No, uh, yeah, it was definitely both because I can see at the time. And if you go back to our original podcast, why we came out here, there was a discontent with the way that we were doing church. Mm, it wasn't life giving right. anymore. It right. wasn't, uh, it was, it was, uh, a lot of work for a little bang, you know, so to speak. And, uh, and all, good, all your money and all your time and effort yeah. was going in that one direction. And what good is it if you're successful at ministry and you lose your soul? 
Someone oh. said something like that somewhere uh, <laughs> at one point. And so, yeah, so there was that protest. And in the same way, uh, so, so there are forces that push you out. Yeah. Uh, right. that, so I'm not saying don't, if you're a Catholic, listen to this and, you know, it doesn't affect you. My parents are still Catholics because yeah. it's about the Eucharist and the sacraments anyway. Yeah, people still feel deeply so, connected yeah. to the Catholic Church. And that I was actually joking with someone last night. Yeah. about that, about feeling connected to the Catholic Church and, and what does that mean and what does that look like? Yeah, so I'm not saying leave. I'm not saying become a Protestant. Uh, Definitely don't become a Protestant. Yeah, and if I'm, you're just a, I'm just joking. And if you're a Pentecostal, charismatic, evangelical, uh, you know, you're, you're really ultimately looking for transformation. You're looking for... Which can happen. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm not saying leave that either, you know. So, but I, yeah, so there are forces that repel you and push you away. Uh, but there are forces that draw you at the same time. And Cynthia Bourgeau, uh, in, in my time at the living school when I was there, uh, actually did a unit on the desert fathers and mothers. Okay. And she said something, she said many profound things as she is apt to do. For sure. Uh, but she, one thing she said, uh, in one of her lectures was, uh, uh, yeah, the, the, the desert monks might've been protesting, civilization and and romanization to and they went out in the desert she said but protest will not keep you there yeah. and so so i don't so i think that's true for us here so yeah there might have been things that we were protesting and getting away from uh in our church churchianity that we had but those things have not kept us here yeah. uh it's been other other you know the the joy of monastic living our version of it, you know, I'm not saying we're good at it. I'm not saying we're effective. It's just, this is our loaf, our measly dried up loaf and our measly fishes that we offer, you know? And Well, and I think just the divine love that's present as well. Yeah, I, I hope so. Yeah. Cause I, I don't think like you don't, we don't get to define what that divine love is. Yeah. You know, it just, it sort of permeates the way it does. Um, and we can just uh, try to cultivate it, but even then, it's it's out of our hands, right? It's that, it goes back to that grace. Yeah, it goes back to grace. You know, and there wasn't a there there wasn't a Franciscan. Uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a Franciscan movement. Mm. There weren't Franciscans when Francis was right. walking around. He's yeah. just a, he's just this little dude who had a. A psychotic break and he had a, a divine a, a divine supernatural uh influx influx of god's love into him and he responded the way the best way that he knew how and then there became franciscans later well that's probably true for most orders and yeah and that's not what all I, yeah so that's what I'm, and i'm not comparing myself to any of these people i'm just right. saying i'm because there's probably uh millions of others who've done things like this but they're just you know most of us are obscure. Most of us are in the desert, so to speak. Well, and I think the important part of Francis is that that's someone that has inspired you. Yeah. Right. And 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 has helped you cultivate your monastic. Life. For sure. Yeah. And that yeah, and so that goes back to childhood. I remember ten or eleven, just reading every book I could find on Francis Assisi. I was attracted to uh, this person, this this strange. Uh, you know that that was that was my jam. <laughs> um, beautiful man. You feel good? Yeah. Is there is there anything? I mean, there's a lot of stuff we could we could still talk about. But is there anything you want to to leave off with specifically? No, I, I feel pretty good. Cool. Uh, thank you, man. Yeah, thank you. That was a good conversation. Uh, thank you. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, once again, this is Desert Rain Community Radio. Um, and a, lo a lot of the uh, episodes we refer to during the podcast, if you want to sort of hear the founding um, founders sort of perspective, if you go back and you can listen to the uh, Road to Desert Rain, uh, Marsha, David's, um, Deanna's, Greg's, um, Kirsten's. Uh, had some good insights too about the early days of of desert rain and sort of the formation and leading up to the formation so uh those are though you can find all those at drcrpod.com also um 
wherever wherever you found this, whatever podcast you use to found this, find this. Uh, thank you to Jacob Nedia. That's what you hear in the background. Uh, Monk Drums. Uh, and always, as always, I already said it once, but I can never say it enough. Thank you all for listening.